Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanner, so let's be friends. We've got a mailbag episode for you today where we address some of your questions, comments, and feedback. Apologies that we didn't stay on top of replying to emails over the Monaco and Baku period, but I did read every single one. And and I have to say, I never get tired of hearing what this podcast means to people, where you're listening to it and where it just fits in your general F1 experience. It makes me feel enormously connected to all of you. And it reminds me I'm not in a shed on my own. I'm, I'm talking to 40,000 of my best friends every week about the sport I love, helping me maintain that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. But actually joining me in the shed, all the way from America land, Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Hey there. I'm currently rethinking my caffeine intake. T- tell me why. Since it's a mailbag show, I will linger. Have you been too hyped up and pepped up keeping yourself awake for Grand Prix? Uh, well, it, the opposite, actually. I'm sitting here thinking, maybe I had one less cup of espresso than I normally do. Okay, okay. Well, let's hope we don't get a, a sleepy Matt Trumpet. Joining us from the from the outer reaches of just outside London, we've got, we've got Chris Stevens. Hey, Chris. Hey, Spanners. Looking forward to opening some mail with you. Excellent. Yeah, you're going to dive into our Canadian mailbag. I hope you've got some some picked out and ready. Oh, I certainly do. And from my homeland all the way in Essex, we've got TikTok sensation Antonio Rankin. Hello, Antonio. And you are genuinely taking TikTok by storm. You have 8 million followers now. Oh, I wish. Not not far off. A healthy 40,000. <laughs> 40,000 people. Does, how's the interaction um, on TikTok? Do mostly just, is it just people yelling at you? There's a there's a good mix. I think I, I I'm kept humble by plenty of people telling me I'm wrong, but also get some really nice feedback at the same time. Ah, well, you should do what we do and just simply never misstep, and and then your mailbag will just be full of people telling you that you're correct all the time. And actually, our mailbag has been lovely. You guys seem to have got the spirit of us doing these feedback episodes, so we've got loads of interesting questions and loads of interesting comments coming up for you right now. <laughs> All right, let's start with you, Chris. You said you were rustling around in the mailbag. What have you found for us? I found a great one here. And even Simon in the uh, live chat room has said the way that I said I wanted to open mail sounds saucy. So let's open up some saucy mail. Tone it tone it tone it down this is a, this is a place for sweaty middle-aged dads mostly i know there's you young people yeah. are trying to infiltrate missed apex but at its core it is unattractive bloated middle-aged men 
well, you, you know, opened up the door a little I, bit I and we did, all just came yeah. flying through. <laughs> so uh, you've only yourself to blame. Right, what have so, you got for us? This is from Andrew. Uh, who, first of all, thanks us for the work um, that we're doing on the podcast each and every uh, week. So thank you very much. Uh, We do appreciate that. Uh, But his question is, what is it that we like about F1? Uh, And in particular, because we tend to criticize Formula One quite a lot. He cites that we say things like uh, the DRS isn't good, too many pay drivers, too many new races, this kind of thing. Uh, so what is it that we really, really like there's about an, Formula One? There's an awful lot of complaining, isn't there? And uh, to be fair, this is pertinent to a question we were talking about, uh, I was talking about on Twitter earlier when we were talking about fandom. And should you talk about whether you support a certain driver? And and I said, well, yeah, no, everyone who makes content will be happier at some result over another. So everyone has, you know, some kind of what people call bias, but it's only really bias if you let it affect your your analysis unfairly and in fact i would argue if you look at the times i've talked about drivers in a negative way i've said far more critical things about things that perez and hamilton do than things that verstappen do if you try and trawl back through old episodes and see see where i've criticized verstappen i'm usually actually only criticizing the stewards but the things we like are the things we are more critical of, Chris. And I think that is mm. why with F1, I'm always looking for it to be perfect. I'm always never happy because I'm unhealthily obsessed with the sport of Formula One. I, I couldn't agree more. We want Formula One to be the best version of itself. And so, you know, we, we are the most critical about things we absolutely love and are very passionate um, about because it's a great, great thing. And we want it to be even uh, better by you know adding more teams or going to the right racetracks and that kind of thing yeah well the chat room would like to get in and point out that the complaining is primarily because uh we are predominantly british <laughs> and therefore we can never be satisfied with anything yeah this is ah, that is that is slightly true actually but getting on to the, the the first part of the question you know why i like formula one is i don't think there are many sports out there that can quite match the extremities between the highs and the lows you know the it, the difference between them is is good in sport in in general but in formula 1 everything is kind of elevated and turned up to 11 the highs are absolutely incredible the worst days you're in that deep pit of despair and the roller coaster of emotions you can be on from mm. saturday to a sunday or even just throughout a single race it is theater it is pantomime ah. and i absolutely love it so you're one of these drama fans there's definitely different types of f1 fans like there's pure just petrol heads who just love the engineering of it and um, you know there's the techies uh over there like like matt and antonia to a certain extent as well and uh, but for me i love the sporting side of it so mm. for me you could take away the danger you could put them in the same cars and i would like the sport and the strategy of it so that that's where i kind of land on it and um and some people are like oh it's about the thrill it's about the drama that's fine everyone finds that that niche uh, to go into it what what about you antonia yeah i agree actually one of my favorite things about the sport i think aside from the entertainment factor is really looking at the kind of strategy of teams and the tech and how that goes hand in hand with strategy and i think it's really interesting to kind of see with formula one it marries so many different fields into one kind of massive spectacle you know you've got the tech side and the actual sporting side of driver performance but then there's also all of these factors from the track, from the weather, you know, there's just so much that pours into it. I think it's such a multi-dimensional sport and that's why it's so interesting. Yeah, Matt, you just like it because it gives you an excuse to drink whiskey in the afternoon. Uh, that entires. Yeah, and, yeah. so, yeah. you know, and that kind of mix in. So for, for you, certainly, uh, you seem to really focus in specifically on the strategy element, almost from, from a team point of view. Yeah, no, uh, the strategy is I love the strategy. I love the engineering. Um, but what really initially attracted me to the sport uh, was the same thing that I like about all sport at at the highest, most professional level. And that is the performance of inefficient, inconsistent human beings under the <laughs> highest pressure yeah. setting. Seeing someone deliver lap after lap after lap within a tenth of a second of what their engineers tell them they have to do 
when the entire result, when there's all the pressure of the TV and the audience and oftentimes your job writing on mm -hmm. it race after race is, is a fantastic thing to watch. And then when you understand the amount of effort that goes into making these cars and making them go fast and how easily any of it can go wrong, well, the more you learn about it, just the more you appreciate it. I think it's also a very honest sport as well. The stopwatch never lies. And you know, I know in, in Formula One, it tends to be a lot more complicated, but as a general fan of motorsport, that is, that is the ultimate aim of the game. You can, mm. you know, look at other elements like, you know, the strategy, which I'm very fond of as well. I love the strategy and the tech and all this. But ultimately, it's dead simple. Go faster than the other guy. I, I have to admit, I to me, the drivers are the most important part of Formula One and how the drivers are, are performing. Obviously, I follow all of it, but I, I love, you know, you know, picking a lane. I like seeing how... Sonoda is doing against Gasly, particularly the teammate battles as they go one to one. And Matt's talking about uh, imperfect, infallible, uh, sorry, fallible humans. When they did all the robo race stuff and it started looking like they're working towards basically making a machine or a computer that can just drive the perfect lap, that might ruin motorsport because you kind of you kind of then going, well, which driver is making the least mistakes in every corner? Because you, you have that center thing where. You know, he was on that Monaco lap going every corner, every lap I was getting closer and faster and faster. It's like, well, in reality, you were just making less and less mistakes and leaving less and less on the table. Once machines take over and start doing perfect laps, Matt, Matt um, yeah, we'll, we'll probably look at driver performance very differently. Uh, we will, I think, to an extent. But uh, it's it's worth noting that i don't think right now they understand how drivers drive perfect laps because sometimes drivers mm. go faster than the engineers predict so I, I think there's still an element of the um i don't know exponential human wiring that eludes a simple um algorithmic understanding so that's a good question then have we seen the peak in what a human could do in a formula one car because relatively speaking towards other sports the participation level is relatively low in motorsport, say, compared to football. And the, the fact that it's so popular is down to its marketing and what it's like as a, a watched event. But you don't have primary school kids all competing in go-karts. And if you did, you would, you would see the standard would probably rise above any, any of anything that we've got now. So we probably still have a little way to go. And that's why maybe you can still have the Hamiltons and the Verstappens and the Sonodas pop up and really kind of show their class. Yeah. I mean, I think if you just look at it from a mathy point of view, uh, world population versus people who try to get into Formula One, never mind the money aspect of it, there is right now on the planet a driver better than anyone in Formula One, and they might not know it, and we might never know it. Yeah. It could have just been some Essex kids who couldn't afford to do proper karting uh, out down at the Colchester Hythe go-kart centre, who then ended up just slubbing his way through mediocre engineering and now is doing low-level media. That person could have been a slightly overweight Formula One champion. You never know. You're absolutely right, Matt. Uh, who was that in the mailbag, uh, Chris? Uh, that was Andrew. Oh, thank you very much for your email, Andrew. I think it boils down to the fact that there is so much in Formula One that you, there's no wrong answer. You know, if you're a petrol head, if you're someone who's in it because it's basically made, an international made in Chelsea, or what's the, what's the US equivalent of made in Chelsea? Brooklyn Shore? Certainly. Now, nah, that's the one, yeah. Some people like it because it's basically a motorsport Brooklyn Shore, and, and some people like it for the sporting side like me. So thank you for that email, Andy. Who else has been rustling around in our mailbag? Miss Rankin. Yes, I have got a really interesting question from Rob, I believe, talking about Pierre Gasly and kind of managing our expectations of drivers generally. I think it opens up a really interesting debate. He's kind of asked, you know, is Gasly actually making more mistakes than we're recognising? And are we kind of being a bit too nice to him and saying he's a bit better than he is? Ooh. And to be honest, I think it kind of opens up a really interesting question of how forgiving should we be to drivers for making mistakes? And is there kind of a scale, a, a proportionate scale of how talented they are as opposed to how many mistakes we're allowed to let them make in terms of, you know, are they actually worthy of their spot on the grid? Oh, hang on. We, so we should establish because the Gasly fans are actually fairly, um, they're fairly, they bite. So are you a Gasly fan? 
Personally, I, I wrote Pierre Gasly, yeah, or Pierre Gazioso, as he's been called in a Spanish newspaper, I believe. Why not? Um, I think he's great. Obviously, he's been in the sport six seasons now, so he's far from a rookie. This is his sixth year in the sport. Um, and I do root for him, you know, week in, week out. It's great to see him regularly getting into Q3, and I really think he is a talented driver. Is he the most exciting driver on the grid? No, not necessarily. And I do think there are more talented drivers on the grid. But yeah, no, I, I definitely root for him. And I think he's got a lot of potential. Yeah, let's let's stick with that. Let's start with that, Chris, you know, Gasly, because he, he sort of pops up in fits and bursts when we talk about him. I don't think we've ever really had a deep dive on Gasly and his career. No, but certainly last season, he was one of the standout drivers of the year, consistently fighting for that. Uh, top six, always in the points. And really, for, for me, was uh, I remember putting him in, in my top five drivers of the season, maybe even just edging into the, the top three as well. This season, not quite gone as well because the car's not quite in the same place it was uh, last season. Things have been a bit more difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, he just announced that, well, Franz Tosta said that he will be staying at AlphaTauri for next season, which is disappointing news for me, really. I think he's done everything he can within the Red Bull family and to try something else at the very least. I think we should be careful of not falling into a, a trap because we can only really rate F1 drivers by their by their teammate. So a lot of times we go, wow, they are really pulling out of the bag. Like a great example is George Russell. Yes, obviously we can now see George Russell is, is pretty good. But we didn't really have any evidence. Is beating Latifi soundly on a Saturday really much of an achievement? Albon's doing much of the same thing. You look at the race, there's the same gap between Latifi and I think anyone who drives against Latifi, sorry, Chris, is going to look pretty good. Uh, Whereas last season, Yuki Tsunoda was one of those six drivers that I pointed at that was going for, that was changing cars. And every driver that changed cars or had not driven that car before the previous season seemed to struggle. So I think Gasly may have been flattered as Sonoda was finding his feet. Now Sonoda's looking a bit more on it. The car's not quite as competitive. Look how differently we're now seeing those drivers, Chris. And I think we are so easily swayed by how they're doing against the teammate and what the car is like that it can be hard to tell. Well, you can only you know say they did a great job that year. You know, and that's mm. what we were talking about. You know, he was doing an amazing job last year, and this year it's been a bit more difficult. I mean, the the idea of the you know how quick should we be to to judge them is really interesting because I think the Red Bull driver program is a really great example of what can happen when you do give them a little bit more leeway because with within the the, the Red Bull programs notoriously harsh Hmm. and in formula one you either sink or swim very quickly and you're found out very uh sharpish you know if you're if you're not any good or if you Uh, um if you're dodgy on streams yes exactly stay off twitch red bull juniors yeah everyone should just stay off twitch if you're a driver and athlete or a public figure of some sort it's just a, a death wish um but the um, I mean, look at people like um, Alex Albon, for example, shunned by the Red Bull program, and then when given a bit more space to to nurture, has ended up becoming a, a really great driver. And there are loads of examples of people who were sort of cast aside, and then when they're given the space, they start to shine. It's all about you know what works best with each individual driver. Right, Albon is actually one of my favorite topics. The fact that Red Bull sent him, found him a drive. I think argues against the fact that he's been shunned by their program. And if you were to ask me, because looking back at media coverage and what Red Bull had to say about him when his, his second, his first full season in the top team, I feel like they were very much backed into a corner. And when we talk about judging people rapidly for mistakes, a lot of time I feel like, all right, so this is my tinfoil hat conspiracy. Oh, I love it. Go on then. Here we go. But And yeah. this is complicated, so I apologize for taking a little extra time here. Oh, no, it would, but, it would be bad if you were to ramble on in an overly convoluted plot point over ah, several minutes. Up, people fine, know I'll deliver t- on my brand. Thank you very much. Right. Um, I feel like the judgment of Alvin was led by Sky and other media outlets. And I feel like a lot of time... We, as spectators of the sport, can be influenced unduly by their view of drivers. 
And this goes back to the very first drive to survive where you had, um, I don't know, three or four journalists sitting around in a room after testing and literally talking about what they thought happened. And then that became the established narrative you saw through the media for the whole season. So I just say, just make sure your judgment of drivers is your judgment of drivers and not something you've just picked up from someone on telly. First, I would just like to say I won't hear a word against Sky. They're an infallible outlet for F1 commentary and punditry. Uh, uh, Matt, I would just... listen to them on any driven Monday. <laughs> Go on, Matt. Go on, Chris. Uh, that, that Monday in particular. I was um, on telly. <laughs> I know you were. <laughs> yes, yes, we know. It's all, that was so Monday, Spanner. Oh. Um, yeah, Matt, just to clarify, when I say he was shunned by the Red Bull program, I mean, uh, before he came into Formula One, people forget that he was on the, the junior program and then was dropped. And then remember when they ran out of junior drivers and they had to bring in people like Brendan Hartley and uh, and get new people um, in? And that's how he came back. That's what I meant when I said he was oh, uh, right. shunned by pre, the program. Pre, pre-F1, yeah. Not no, to, no, you're, you're not right to undo that. your entire point there because it was still very well made. Well, thank you. I thought so too. I, I think it's a problem that these narratives in the media gain steam rapidly because they just reinforce each other. And um, I always felt like we try to offer a corrective to that a bit here on our show. To be honest, I think we need to be careful with how we speak about drivers because there's there's two key ways of looking at it. First of all, Formula One is a sport like no other in the capacity that there are 20, 30, if you include reserve drivers, of these drivers operating at the highest level in the world. It's not like football where there's multiple teams consisting of yeah, however many players are on a football team. Um you know, operating at once at the very highest level of their sport. Whereas with Formula One, we we have that and there are only 20 spaces. And in that capacity, I don't think there is such thing as deserving a drive or, you know, anyone being entitled to a drive. And I think obviously with the treatment of drivers like Albon and I guess to an extent Gasly in the Red Bull program where they were kind of trying to find a fit for Verstappen, didn't quite find it in those two drivers. There was the kind of narrative of, oh gosh, look, they've been so so poorly treated it's been so brutal on them but to be honest to an extent I think they have to be as bosses and I think Horner Mm. as a team boss it's well within his rights to be honest to go right you're not the right fit for the team and I don't think it necessarily speaks to Albon or Gasly's ability because obviously look at how they've been performing recently they've been really great Um, but a team because there are only 20 drivers in the world they've got to find the best fit a for the team as a whole for the constructors championship because i think people do tend to forget there are Mm. two parallel championships operating at once in the season but also it's about the fit between the two drivers look the red bull program i think you know you're right they do have to be savage because there is such a a small amount of places on the grid we could say that the red bull program has been completely validated by Max Verstappen. If you're looking for that next superstar and they went, Buemi, no, Algoshwari, no, all right, Kvyat, have a go. Stop hitting Vettel. No, we, again, you hit him again. Okay, off you go as well. That brings Verstappen in. That kind of justifies the decision, Chris, doesn't it? It, Absolutely. Not not just Verstappen, but Vettel. And of course, we've had races where Kvyat and Gasly have joined uh, Verstappen on the podium. We've had all Red yeah, Bull Ricardo product well. drivers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, on the podium together. And that's been really great to see. It doesn't really happen with, you know, a lot of the other drivers, you know. And I, I think about like Mick Schumacher as well in terms of judging these drivers, because frankly, I find it kind of unacceptable that he hasn't scored a point this season. To be honest, I'd be inclined to disagree with that, actually. I think with Mick, I, and I say this to actually a lot of my followers, because I think they're really harsh on Mick. I think people are a bit too harsh on him. Oh, re- oh and, really? You know, okay. I'm yeah, listening. from my perspective, if we look at Mick's progression in his career, I don't think there's any doubt of his raw talent and his ability secular to his father's name. However... Last year in Formula One, he was paired with Mazepin, both rookies in a relatively, you know, they're not a very high performing team has, and they certainly weren't last year. And I think that being paired with Mazepin, who was also a rookie driver, who I would say the gulf between Mazepin's ability and Schumacher's ability was quite considerable. Mm. And Mazepin made a lot more mistakes. I don't think Mick really had 
much if any opportunity last year to learn be mentored you know learning on the job in the same way that he kind of has this year with Magnuson who's a considerably more um experienced driver who has a lot to teach him Mm. so I think to be honest what I always say to my followers and anyone who tries to have a go at Mick is view this as (laughs) his rookie year okay (laughs) you Ah, know view this as his kind of learning year and so what we're saying is uh, yeah so last year yeah he was looking good his stock absolutely tanked but this is the first year we're really seeing him up against someone proper it is quite generous to grant him another rookie year isn't it like okay then exactly how long do we give him well and that's i think down to everyone to decide you know how many again circling back to gasly how many breaks do you cut a driver before you go Okay, these aren't isolated okay. incidents. This is a trend of counterpoint. Poor counterpoint to this, he has had, a, which a rookie wouldn't have had, a full year in F one with hybrid technology cars. He then went up against a very good, a very talented but beatable teammate, and the gap is big. If he was close to Magnussen, I'd be more inclined to give him that bit of slack. But you have to admit, it is it is looking rough at the moment. I agree. It is looking rough. However, there are just so many factors that's come in this year. And I think a lot of drivers have struggled, you know, aside from the fact that Mick is a rookie, these new regulations have really trumped some of the drivers. I mean, generally speaking across the board. So I think that's going to knock him down a peg as well in terms of his experience. You know, he's just got to grips with a Formula One car and then they give him basically a completely different one and say, here, there you go. You know, so again, it's down to you personally, you know, as was being said earlier, how many how many breaks are you going to give someone? And it's down to you to decide who you want to support in terms of how good actually are they. But no, I think I definitely think Mick has more to give and let's not be too savage on him. Right. So I'm actually inclined to agree with you on this one. With me? Do you mean me? No, I, I do not mean you <laughs> at okay, all because fine. I've already made right, this argument. There's there's a lot of, of uh, reasons to look at this is Schumacher's first real season aside from the calendar, which cannot be argued. And you're correct about that. So really the question I want to ask is on a scale of Kevin Magnuson at McLaren to Lance Stroll, where are we going to put Schumacher? Uh, Chris, where do you want to put him? That's weird. That's a really weird scale, by the way. It's a great <laughs> scale. Okay, cool then. It, well, it, uh, Magnussen and McLaren really only lasted about half a season, though, because then JB started to. Th- that's my point. Like they they kicked him out almost immediately, even though he podiumed in his very first race for them. Yeah. Whereas Stroll, well, we all know. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I, at the moment, I'm putting it just behind the sort of middle of that scale. Okay, um, on well, the lower end of it. Look, I stand to be corrected. Like I've said recently, you know, my opinion on Wan Yu Joe has, is, is starting to change as well. At the moment, I'm putting Mick Schumacher as purely buy-in driver at the moment. And that I think is going to take a lot. Oh, look at the death stare from Antonio there. That, but I'm <laughs> honestly, that that's where I see it. And I think it's going to take a lot to, to turn me around. He's going to have to start really bringing it to Kevin Magnussen there may well be like great emotional ties and it is really wonderful to see you know Schumacher Jr in formula 1 but if you think that he's not there because of his surname yeah then i'm sorry that is a bit delusional last one from you I, I to be honest he has had a foot up from his surname i think that's irrefutable you know the Schumacher name of course is legendary in formula 1 and i think i think but I think the leg up that he'll have got from that will have probably come earlier on in his career through the Formula Series, yep. less so into Formula One. And I think I think it's with paying drivers or pay to drive, you know, a lot that gets thrown around yeah, quite definitely. a lot. Um, and I think the extent to which the the daddy's money, the daddy's name helps really varies between drivers. So if you look at kind of drivers like maybe Lance Stroll or even Nicholas Latifi with their fathers both being billionaires, obviously with drivers like that, the sponsorship money is very appealing to teams Mm -hmm. and the amount of money that it affords them as a result of that. And I think that's where drivers like them have benefited. Whereas I think Schumacher's benefit from his father's name would have come earlier on in his career. And then I think, to be honest, he did prove himself through the Formula Series, through his performance, that he was worthy of being a driver. Don't get me wrong, I think people will cut him more breaks because of his surname. Mm. However, I don't think that he doesn't deserve his seat. 
Okay, you know? so I, I was uh, I've, I'm going to repeat something that I've said earlier today that won't be on a show until Sunday. But we can almost have a Turing test for buy-in drivers. Like, at what point are they indistinguishable from "quote unquote" real drivers? And and I think the benchmark has to be beat your teammate. So if you are a buy-in driver, as in, and to me, that doesn't mean you had support. A buy-in driver means you are physically paying for your specific seat that you're in right now. So that's uh, Latifi, Schumacher, um, Guan Yu Zhou, and Stroll. So they're your buy-in drivers. If you then start beating teammates, that is probably you're going to pass the the Turing test where you, where you look like a real driver, Chris. So, um, and Lucas very rightly in the chat room points out that maybe Bayern is a bit harsh considering he's Formula 2 champion. Of course, he won the European Formula 3 championship. Jolian Palmer, well, but... F2 champion. Yeah, exactly. Jolian Palmer won the GP2 title. Lance Stroll is a Formula 3 champion as well. There are plenty yeah, of but you can... drivers who, who win, you know, junior formula along the way. And for... Because things, you know, fell into the right place and, uh, you know, things like this. And then for, in Formula 1, it just doesn't mm. work. It's not a direct correlation i will just say okay uh look uh, let's move on matt what have you found rustling around in the mist apex mailbag uh well i i have a tough choice but i will adjust i will start i think because there's some techie ones that i would like to talk about um but i also do love to explain things you may have noticed so so i would like to answer a question from chris about push laps and uh, why we hear the engineers asking for them that's the one the i cars... was going to pick yeah it's a good one well yeah i could go. i could talk no, about the go. power unit mercedes one if no, you want to go for it one. we're in we're in i'm just saying it was right, a good ready. pick okay well what that's all about is that the cars and specifically uh the tires would not last at that pace for the race, the way they need to for the strategy. So the engineers sit down and they figure out the fastest they can get round with the least amount of pit stops. And then the drivers have to preserve the tires. So if you were to go, say, on a push lap tear on lap 10, when you're trying to get to lap 20, your tires would get really hot. And then suddenly they would go very, very slowly. Now, now we have tires that might recover, but you would lose time. So right around the pit stops, what the engineers will do is tell the drivers, to take all the rest of the life out of the tires. And that's what the push lap is. And the other reason they're restricted is because of energy. They fuel them down to the microliter to get to the end on a certain thing. And so then the drivers have to save fuel sometimes. And then when they get close to that pit stop, they're like, okay, let's kick out the jams and go for it for a couple of laps. Yeah, there's an analogy Nico Rosberg used a few years ago about how, you know, you're trying to spend 100% of your tires across the stint. But if you get to, say, 75% of the stint and you've only used 50% of your tire life, you can, you know, exchange that for a bit of pace later in the race. And and the further into that stint you go, the kind of bigger that delta is going to be. So the more you manage in the earlier stages the more you can spend it later and you get a bigger advantage from, from doing that. So it's, it's a quicker way of running the race basically. Yeah. So aside, there's multiple, you know, strategic reasons for cars pushing on some laps and not pushing on others, but there's this mechanism on the wheel called the uh, push to pass mechanism, which is on the steering wheel. The drivers press it. Um, It's kind of more colloquially referred to as the overtake button, but it can also be used during undercuts, overcuts, during quality to kind of give an extra boost to the cars. Um, And it utilizes the car's kinetic energy recovery system. So with the cars, there's in the power unit, it's broken down into the, um, the kinetic and the heat motor generator unit. And the kinetic motor generator unit basically works by recovering energy when the car is braking, kind of how electric cars do that today. That's how they get a lot of their energy. Like your dad's Prius, yeah. (laughs) Not not your dad's, our dad's. Yeah, go on. Carry on, no, carry on. But um, yeah, no, so the energy that's recovered from this kinetic energy recovery system is then utilized to give the cars a power boost. And this amount of power, the the longevity of the boost will vary between formulas, between cars. But that's why we'll get, that's where it comes from, on the overtake button or from the power button, basically on a car. So if the, you'll hear it on the team radios, they'll come onto the driver and they'll say, okay, push this lap. And that's when they'll often use this button to kind of increase delta and increase lap time. 
So when they're saying push, they might be, it's, it's almost coded that they're talking about, you know, use up all your deployment, use up all your, your bad, because there's a couple of different things, isn't there? They've got engine modes, which is not quite right. So they've got a mode where you will drain all the battery that you have saved up. They've got a mode where you'll use some of it, but they'll keep an eye on like more topping up the battery. And I don't know how many they've got, but I'm just saying they can choose how much of that storage Am I getting this even close, Antonio? <laughs> they can choose how much they're either charging the battery or discharging the battery. What I had missed was really that there's a specific button the driver can press, almost like hers, to overtake. I, I, somehow I'd completely yes. missed that in these regulations. No, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's a Kurs button. So it's it, you'll hear it kind of referred to on commentary as the yeah. overtake button. And a lot of drivers will use that when they're trying to do a difficult overtake where they need the extra power. And this kind of actually links into one of the other mailbag questions, but basically the, the engine consists of the internal combustion engine, which is then fed into by the power unit and the power unit is put into modes. So on some weekends with the new regulations and new rules that have been put into place, you're only allowed one engine mode per weekend, yeah. which is why party mode has been disabled, etc. And these power unit balances will be kind of, do you want, to have more of the kinetic uh, motor generator unit. So if we've got a track that's got lots of braking, et cetera, or do you want lots of um, the heat, which is where you've got full throttle, lots of, you know, high deployment. Yeah. So that's why weekends like Baku and Canada are really different because you need a really finely tuned balance between those two power unit elements. Okay. A, I'm not going to pretend I've followed that all completely entirely, but B, wouldn't it be better for us fans if we could just see like a meter and like show me how much stored energy you have, show me how much curves you've got. Is that, is that so dumb, Matt? Why can't I have that? Uh, all you got to do is look at the onboard okay. and watch the battery on the driver's wheel. You can see the deployments come down lap by lap. And, and they, they do use different maps. Sometimes they recover more energy and sometimes they are deploying maximum battery, but it always comes at a cost. If you use too much energy on one lap, then you have to spend the next lap recovering it. And that is the tricky balance that, that uh, Antonio was talking about that makes that, that a lot of time is the battle that we don't see, but is constantly going on between the engineers on different pit walls. Yeah, no, sorry. So um, yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges that a driver will face is finding the balance and teams strategically, especially like I said, at tracks like Canada and that Baku, there is such a fine balance to be found in the hybrid element of the power unit, which is which is um, employing the kinetic motor generator unit and the heat motor generator unit. And that's why Red Bull have performed so well the last couple of weekends, because that's an area that they've really heavily invested in. So, and I also think that's why, to be honest, I don't think Sainz really had much chance of reaching Verstappen just because, to be honest, they hadn't invested in that element of the power unit. See, I thought you were going to say he wasn't going to be able to win with, with the, um, without the safety car. But I think Verstappen would have had a hard time passing him because Ferrari had set up all of its deployment through sector two into sector three. And, and, you know, we saw that very clearly with where Leclerc with slightly less downforce was passing people into turn 10, but chasing Red Bull had sector three into sector one. And that's why we constantly saw that gap appearing between Verstappen and Sainz, even though Sainz had DRS. And so to me, this is a great real world example of exactly what you were talking about, where the teams have chosen different energy deployment modes where the energy gets used from the battery and it completely affects the strategy and their chances and where they need to be in order to win a race. Yeah. Yeah. No, so like I said, this really feeds into, I, sorry, I can't remember the name. Someone asked about the engine modes um, in the mailbag and about how obviously in the last couple of years, um, Merck have been kind of turning their engines up, turning them down and um, whether this year that has been, used by teams like Ferrari and Red Bull to get the results that they have. So with the power unit, basically what the power unit does is it adjusts the performance of the internal combustion engine. So the balance of the power unit impacts the performance of the internal combustion engine. So that's exactly what we were just talking about now, where like the engine modes can be adjusted by the amount of fuel that's 
injected into the uh, combustion chamber of the engine. So with teams like Red Bull, because they've got very balanced power units, um, you'll see at weekends like Baku and at Canada, they'll be going in with a very hybrid package. But you'll hear on the commentary teams will be talking about, oh, we're bringing a low downforce package this weekend, or oh, we're bringing a higher downforce package this weekend. And that's basically what they're talking about. They're saying, this is the engine mode we're running this weekend because this track is operates well when we've got lower downforce. And so whilst engine modes will change from weekend to weekend, um, the actual engines themselves, I wouldn't say, haven't been set to a really high level necessarily because that changes week on week. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, that's Troy who asked that question. Thank you very much uh, for that question and a fantastic answer from Antonia as well. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the mailbag show, so I'll just look around my panel to see if any of them have picked out a- any other questions in the mailbag i will just say because i'm getting a lot of uh, a lot of flack from our slack group about my turing test and they are saying it's a bad test because it's unfair and uh thank you for your support but you're all wrong this is the top 20 drivers in the pinnacle of motorsport fair doesn't come into it if you want to pass my test which is that you are say in my eyes no longer a buy-in driver. You need to be a teammate over the course of the season and you need to kind of be doing that. That's the standards that other drivers have to stick to. Once other drivers who can't buy their seat start losing to teammate after teammate after teammate, their stock goes way, way down. Hulkenberg, Ricardo, all these drivers have suffered from getting kind of a knockout blow in their heavyweight fight. Please, please do not come to me with it's so unfair on the poor billionaire. They need to buy their buy their seat. Okay, you've bought your seat. It's going to happen apparently for now. But then you've got to go and start beating teammates to pass my test. I think I think that I don't see the problem with that. I don't see I don't see why they get a special low bar and everybody else has a much higher bar to pass. That's the end of my rant for now. Anyone got a last listener email? Okay, Chris, finish us off. I have a very very quick one from uh, Eric Berg. Um, who asked, why don't the teams put the driver's names or number on the inside of the halo for the forward-facing onboard shots? Why do I have to figure out which driver it is by trying to remember what the helmet looks like? And Eric, I absolutely agree with you. It is infuriating, especially given they do it in F2 and F3. But you know what? It's sponsor space, isn't it? It's what the Mercedes was the worst because like Rosberg and Hamilton, they looked very similar in the car. And at one point, I was telling them apart because Rosberg had jaggedy windscreen and Hamilton had a smooth windscreen. And that was like the only way you could tell them apart. Then one of them thankfully got yellow gloves. And that's it. And you couldn't tell on a straight. You can only tell on the corner when they turn. You go, well, blah, 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 yellow gloves. That's that's Hamilton. And uh, yeah, it does seem like a no brainer. To Why wouldn't you just have when you had the sail barge board at the back on mm. the engine cover when they had the big fin? You know, that was a little bit easier and you could have a higher numbers. But that's what they do in America, don't they, Matt? They just scream who the driver is on there. Uh, sorry, Antonia, go on. I will just say quickly, um, one of the quickest, easiest ways to tell driver, even if you're not looking for the number of the driver, etc., is one driver out of each team will have the flow colours on the car. So they'll have the neon yellow or so not. So I've got to learn so 10 teams remember. of which driver's got the little yellow bit or not. It is neon yellow, if that uh, helps. But yeah, you'll often find the, the first driver per se of each team has got the plain colours and then the second driver per se has the bright colours. See, I don't. Some people say, oh, I, oh, I only look at the helmets or I only look at this. And I'd like, I have this weird mixture of um, f- for each team because like Ferrari have the different accents on Science and Leclerc's car to help you distinguish them. But sometimes it's easier to see the car number. Sometimes it's easier to see the helmets or that kind of thing so yeah there's there's a multitude of methods but they could make it easier for us as as long as as long as they don't do was it dragon racing in formula e chris did the cars did they have one car two different liveries yeah i think that's probably going a little bit far but you're not allowed to do that in formula one which is the only it's it's a regulation but i remember bar tried to do it in the early 2000s and um they got uh, they got told off for launching their car like that, I think, and uh, and then they didn't. They weren't able to do it throughout the season, unfortunately. So they just couldn't. I think they mixed and matched like both ends of the car on on either one. But yeah, that like, would I, they inverted be the, the colors or something like that. Yeah, of, of liveries, or, or maybe it was a different 
they had extra sponsors they were trying to accommodate. But yes, yeah. FIA, always policing the really, really important stuff. Okay, well, while we're talking about very, very important things, Alfa Romeo annoyed me with that green... What was that green sponsor? They had some green livery at the back, Chris. No motorsport car should look different from predominantly a rear angle than predominantly a front angle. They should look the same. Well, from the front or the back, they should be identifiable as that car. You're not going to be happy about any racing car. No, it it consistently irritates me. Oh, actually, there's a good one here. I've I've mistimed the the time slightly. We're not quite as tight as I thought. But uh, there's a question from Quinn who says, uh, was it the carbon fiber mechanism that failed on Yuki Tsunoda's car and not the actual mechanism that moved the wing? I believe I saw Yuki have half the wing open before he pitted, hence the speed tape connecting them back. As always, great show, gents, uh, from Quinn. I've got a follow-up to that, Chris, but do you have an answer? Yeah, so from memory, it wasn't the actual actuator that, that broke. It was it like it took a chip out of the rear wing, which stopped the actuator, you know, connecting from the the other side of the rear wing to the right hand side of the the flap. So the left side of it would open because that's not the part that was hit, and then it would not pull the other side open because it wasn't connected to it because it had that chip taken out of it. Uh, but that does bring us on. I think we we touched on it slightly from the Canadian Grand Prix. Was I think we're getting a little bit oversensitive with uh, cars that have damage. So Magnussen getting that meatball flag for having what looked like relatively minor damage on his front wing seemed ridiculous to me. If we start doing that, we're going to have to start making Formula One a non-contact sport. Because as far as I can remember, Formula One cars have always have had bits of stuff flapping off of them occasionally. Antonia? Yeah, um, I think, to be honest, I think that was more just to do with the fact that it was quite a big It was part of the end plate, wasn't it? Just quite a large part of it. And because of when it was in the Grand Prix, obviously having debris on the track is never ideal. But yeah, I am inclined to agree. You can't just black an orange flag anytime something is flapping around on a car, yeah. really. Well, I mean, if they weren't wearing helmets and didn't have a halo, and I mean, obviously with Massa, it's no no joking matter, Matt, when you had that, you know, a big kind of mechanical cob, cog bounce on the track and into him. But I don't know. I don't know how dangerous a piece of carbon fibre from an end plate, if it was to fly into a cockpit. I, I don't know. How bad is that? 300 kilometres an hour? Well, it's not going to be. A, is it? Well, I suppose it could potentially be. Down the straight. Be. Yeah. I think they were getting 280, 300. Yeah, so, okay. you know, even if it's like Oh, I wasn't volunteering yeah. myself to try, even with a helmet on, to have carbon fibre thrown at my head at 300 miles yeah. an hour. So and. and by memory, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I think that came out once Ocon caught up to Magnuson and was behind him. So it, it may have been a proximity thing as well. If, if if there was no one directly behind him, they might have been more lenient. I don't know. I, I think you had a reasonable safety argument in that circumstance. If that entire in plate detached and hit the hit the driver behind, that that would have been unacceptable from a safety point of view. Well, that was a fun little mailbag drop-in show, wasn't it? I hope you uh, enjoy these. I think it's added to the the breadth and depth of the shows we do here at Missed Apex Podcast. And it has meant that we have to properly organise the emails we get from you guys and start responding to them. I do promise you I read every single email. So does Matt. Feedback at MissedApex.net. Or you can do Spanners or Matt also at MissedApex.net. We love hearing from you. We love hearing your ideas of what we should do, hearing from people or hearing about people who we should reach out to be on on the show. So keep sending us those emails and we'll keep doing sporadic uh, feedback shows. If you want to follow us more closely, you can follow us at patreon.com forward slash Apex, where we have our doom scrolling show where we you <laughs> we talked about my criteria for babysitting for about 10 minutes, which wasn't intended. But the point is, it does stray away from Formula One and is a bit more relaxed as well. Plus, you can join our patron forum group, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Follow our crew, uh, Chris Stevens. You are at Chris on Racing and you'll be commentating on the iRacing final of the Missed Apex F3 iRacing Cup on Saturday. Yeah, really looking forward to it. 12 points separate Danny Henney and Kyle Power in the standings right at the top. We've got three exciting races coming up, and yeah, looking forward to it. At Chris on Racing, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Am I mathematically out of the running for the championship? You're, you're not actually. Oh, I'm not. mathematically, you're still um, in it. Okay, but there's not gonna, realistically, there's going to have to be some carnage. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and follow Matt to Rumpets. Matt, will you please cause some carnage for me on the Missed Apex F3 iRacing Cup on Saturday? Can I deploy you 
like my own uh, Nelson Piquet Jr.? Uh, sure, why not? I have nothing to lose. Okay, and we don't even need to say allegedly anymore, I am assured by the Miss Apex lawyers. Go and follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter and Matt Trumpets on Facebook as well. Yep. Where you post right. pictures and things. And then Antonio Rankin, you are on TikTok as, is it at Antonia F1? No, what's F1 Antonia. F1 yeah. Antonia, I was close. Okay, so at, <laughs> I don't know how TikTok, so you just type in F1 Antonia and we'll find you and your TikToks. And on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, go for it. Twitter is just my name, Antonia J. Rankin. Okay, well, brilliant. Go and follow the crew, Antonia, Chris Stevens, and Matt, two rumpets. And don't forget to follow me at Spanners Ready or Richard Ready on Facebook. I'm the best one. We're going to see you on Sunday where we've got Kevin Clark from The Ringer, huge deal in America, coming here to tell us uh, his take on, on their F1 takeover of the United States. And also we're going to be speaking to a real life F1 team, current communications officer. Plus we're going to have Chester in the studio to tell us how China is receiving uh, the performances of Guan Yu Zhou, the first ever F1 Grand Prix driver from China. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.